You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. Always appreciate being included in your day. And what a busy day it's going to be for a lot of folks here across the ag industry. We're going to dive into the markets in just a moment with Darren Newsom, senior analyst at Bar Chart. Before segment two, we're going to check in with John Baranek of DTN Weather about just what's happening in these skies above us, both across North America and down south in Brazil and Argentina. And in segment three, we're going to talk with Shauna Morris. She's the senior vice president president of trade policy at the U.S. Dairy Export Council. Battle lines are being drawn with Canada over the import and export of American dairy products. We're going to get the update from Shauna on how that could impact producers here across the country. Before we dive into all of that, however, let's get thoughts on what's moving in these markets from our friend Darren Newsom, as I mentioned, senior analyst there at Barchar, keeping an eye on these markets. And Darren, the news, it seems, over this past week and into the weekend was all about this Chinese balloon. Are you growing more concerned about geopolitical risk? That's a great way to great way to open the week, Mike. Uh, I was asked over the weekend, yeah, you know, what do I think of this? And I don't know. Uh, you know, to me, it harkens back. Uh, to the to the early 1980s, the Cold War and all this sort of thing. I, you know, I can't help but think how archaic uh, spy balloons are in this day and age. And I've heard, you know, so far from both sides of, of the aisle, you know, it should have been shot down by whoever uh, the minute it entered uh, U.S. air. And on the other side, they're saying the U.S. military was actually able to stop any transmission of data, but they were able to pull all kinds of information from the balloon. So I don't know. I I was watching the market Sunday night through early Monday morning to see if there was any sort of ripple effect. And as of, you know, as of this point, I haven't seen anything. Uh, it, it's interesting. There, the geopolitical tensions uh, are being ramped up, uh, not only with China, but, you know, China assisting Russia in its attack on Ukraine and the rest of the world taking sides. So, yeah, I think the whole the, the, the geopolitical situation in, in general is getting more stressful. Did this balloon incident add to it? Probably a little bit. I just haven't, I just can't really see where it's going to take us at this point. So we're not seeing any reverberations here through the commodity markets, but Darren, we are seeing some weakness across the commodity mm -hmm. trade today. What's your read on what's developing here in the soybean market? Yeah, to me, the biggest thing, you know, looking at both soybeans and soybean meal uh, under pressure, it, it was an interesting overnight session. Uh, looking at the forecasts uh, for this week, they're talking about hot and dry still for Argentina, but still rainy, uh, a lot of rain in central Brazil. So it doesn't really mesh with what we're seeing in the markets this morning. I can't help but think, you know, we're coming out of a harvest weekend. There was some harvest done in South America, different parts of the uh, Brazil, different parts of Argentina. And this is probably what's putting the initial pressure on soybeans. I don't see, uh, you know, by future spreads, I'm not seeing a huge wave of cancellations of export sales or anything like that. To me, it just looks like normal you know, wrap around weather market weekend activity where you see a lot of activity on Friday on what weather might do. And then back on Monday, you see what, you know, the reaction to what the weather actually did. And to me, that's what it looks like this morning. Darren, you mentioned the rain up in Brazil. Of course, those soybeans are starting to come out of the fields right now. Some of that second crop cotton is going in. That second crop corn is starting to go in. Have the rain events caused any delays in Brazilian exports in a big way, have we heard? I haven't heard that they have yet. It's still early in the season. Now, we all know it takes a long time to get from some of those central Brazil fields to the ports. And so, you know, we, we have that lag. Uh, and with progress slow, and from what everything I'm hearing, progress, you know, harvest progress is still slow, albeit still early. We have to keep that in mind. So we're not, uh, I mean, there's a... Brazil is exporting, but the U.S. is still exporting as well. And we'll get our next read on weekly export inspections uh, later Monday morning. And I'm expecting a, another good number there, uh, given what we see in basis spreads and so on. So I, I don't think the U.S. exports have dropped off the map yet due to pressure from competition in Brazil. But I think it's coming. And I think by the time we get to the end of this month in early March, we'll certainly be there. 
Darren, taking a look at the commodity trade on this Monday morning, we've got corns, beans, bean meal, bean oil, oats, rice, and canola all red on the day, mm -hmm. all trending down. Wheat is up one to two pennies, not a huge move to the upside. What's supporting the wheat market given the overall downturn? The wheat is interesting, particularly if we look at uh, if we just focus in on Chicago. And this is one of the things that that I've been watching. There's a huge non-commercial net short futures position in Chicago. And so that immediately opens the door to some short covering. And also we have to keep in mind that it's this week, starting tomorrow, that we see the famed Goldman roll for whatever that's worth, you know, where the, where the index fund rolls its long positions from nearby contracts to the next deferred. Now, sometimes you see other funds front running this thing, but the, but here's where the problem lies. A lot of those other funds are short Chicago wheat. So how is that going to affect trade this week? Is it going to skew the Chicago spreads, which are starting to work towards bearish uh, levels of calculated full commercial carrier? We're going to get those skewed to where we have to start watching the May. But if we watch the May, the May-July spread is old crop, new crop. So that means we have no real good spread read on uh, Chicago wheat. We know it's bearish, but we won't know exactly what's going on if we have to make that adjustment out to new crop already. Darren, we've talked a lot about the cattle market, the market that can't go down, won't go down, and that trend continues. February, April, June, all over 160. The August live cattle knocking at the door. Where do you see this cattle market going in the coming weeks? Yeah, it is just wild. I just updated, you know, look at the spreads, and the spreads are still bearish, but right now the market doesn't care. Uh, it's just straight up, as you said, market that can't go down, won't go down. The what is not the what's important. We don't know the why. We saw cash market take a big jump last week, uh, late Friday through Saturday. I heard reports of uh, Southern market going 158 to 159 from 156 the week before. So we've just got buyers coming in in every direction in this market. It's not showing up in spreads, but it's certainly pushing the futures market higher. And, you know, it just seems like we're, put, we're hitting new contract highs almost every session. So it's hard to step in front of that thing until we start to see some consistent buying coming in. Darren, do you want to be managing any risk at these levels in the live cattle market, given the fact that you're concerned about it being toppy? Really, the only thing that I'd look at doing right now, it's hard to sell futures when the market's going to new contract highs every day. So it's hard to put hedges in place. But if you can if you can get some put spot and volatility really isn't that high for, for the type of market that we're looking at. So if you can get some put bots and I know I know I know cattle producers hate buying puts. I, I understand that. But if you can do some sort of option play in here to to limit the downside, if this thing does turn, uh, that would probably be the way I'd look at it. Darren, on the equity market front, we had some surprising jobs data this past week. Is that going to pull more investors into equities or is fear of inflation going to keep them out? You know, I, I saw, you know, looking at the long term charts, I saw all three uh, major indexes here in the U.S. turn bullish this past October. And I said at the time, I thought we were going to see more money going into equities here in 2023. And I still think that, uh, you know, the economic numbers are what they are. They're government data. Take them for what they're worth. But I do think that we are going to continue to see the equity markets trying to push higher. There's going to be downswings. That's just the nature of the beast. But I think it is going to limit the amount of new money going into commodities. Something to watch out for here in the months ahead, folks. We've been talking with Darren Newsom, Senior Market Analyst with Bar Chart. Darren, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, thanks for, having for having me on, on again, Mike. And folks, stick with us. We'll dive into that weather forecast with John Baranek of DTN Weather here when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. In farming, you know being early means you're right on time. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system created the Spray Early Weed Control Guarantee. When you spray before or at planting, you can protect your investment and give your farm an advantage all season long. Find the tools and resources you need to spray early and guarantee your weed control at roundupreadyextend.com slash spray early. Guarantee is subject to program terms and conditions. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. <laughs> I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. 
Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. Are you heading to the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville? Stop by the Trelleborg booth and see me, Mike Pearson, for some exciting live radio and learn about what's happening in the tire world. I will be broadcasting AOA live from Trelleborg booth 5039 from 10 to 11 a.m. on Thursday and Friday at the National Farm Machinery Show. That's the Trelleborg booth 5039 from 10 to 11 a.m. We'll see you in Louisville. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture, but that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. Hey dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. It's that time of year. We're getting into the depths of winter. The forecast is cold or not so cold, and we're going to be getting into those details with John Baranek, meteorologist with DTN Weather. And John, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, always, no, always good, good to be with, with you, Mike, and, and talking talk about weather. weather. I love, I love doing that with you. <laughs> well, John, over over the for, over the radar here today, it looks like the the United States is expecting kind of a quiet, slow weather day. Is that your expectation? Not too bad today. Uh, we do have a system that's kind of moving through the plains, and right now, as as you look at the radar, there's not a whole lot going on with it, but uh, it will start picking up some precipitation. It gets kind of uh, into Minnesota and Iowa. And uh, the front kind of works its way down through the central and southern plains. Um, not a whole lot in some of those wheat areas and the drought areas, uh, honestly. Uh, but it will actually form a low pressure center there across eastern Texas and Oklahoma uh, tomorrow. And then kind of build its way northeast through the rest of the week. It'll produce uh, some quite a bit of good rainfall across uh, those areas then to the east, uh, the eastern half of the country later this week. So um you know there are some drier areas that are still kind of out there but you know if you look at the drought monitor map um you know it's really just if if you're east of the plains you're you're pretty well pretty well good without any of the drought and we'll just uh, keep adding to some soil moisture here this week john this front that's moving from the northern plains down to develop that low across texas texas and oklahoma is that bringing any snow or is it going to get some rain given the fact we've got a little bit of a warm-up across the central states today yeah, it's actually quite warm. I mean, it, you know, for this time of year, we got to remember that it's still February uh, and, you know, temperatures above normal, even for, even for me up here in Minneapolis, average highs are in the 20s, mid 20s. So, you know, if we get above normal, it's still good enough for snow. So we still have a little bit of snow here across the, the northern states uh, later today. Um, and as that system wraps up, it'll wrap in a little bit, you know, cold enough air, we'll call it, uh, to produce some snow on the backside of it, uh, really from northern uh, Missouri into Wisconsin, um, kind of on Thursday is the kind of the big day for that. A couple of inches though, nothing, nothing too major. And uh, the, the colder air that kind of follows it may produce some 
uh, snow showers for the eastern Midwest then to close out the week. Uh, it actually goes a little bit below normal across the southern states, but even across the Midwest, that colder air that comes in is about normal for this time of year. So it's not, not bad. John, those southern states this past week saw a little excitement with that ice storm that passed over. Is there any additional risk of more icing events in this week ahead? Well, lucky for them, no. Um, so, I mean, they, they stay pretty warm. I mean, if we look at temperatures right now across Texas, Dallas is at 60. So we're not really expecting any cold enough uh, temperatures there to, to really impact them for any more of that wintry weather. Yeah, it was kind of a, an amazing thing that happened for them with just several days of the Arctic air and, and uh, some showers moving over them. It's all sorts of issues there across Texas, Oklahoma, for sure. John, from a meteorological standpoint, did that cold air move far enough south and over enough naked wheat fields to do any damage here to the wheat crop, or did it warm up again quick enough to keep that wheat alive? You know, that's a great question. Um, you know, a lot of those areas, especially from western Kansas down through the through west Texas, were exposed. They had had some um, uh, snowfall the prior weekend, but it all melted away. And so they were exposed when that uh, when that cold air came in. There were single digits uh, from western Kansas and Colorado all the way down through west Texas. Uh, There's a few spots there that were exposed and went below zero as well. So definitely cold enough to create some winter kill issues, especially for, you know, the winter hardiness on, on that wheat down there isn't so great. Um, and we've been, we were really warm all the way through January too. So um, I suspect there was some, but we're not going to really know if that occurred from this event, or if it occurred from the event that uh, was, that, that came through around Christmas or if it was just because of the drought. So, you know, they've had a lot of issues down there to, to deal with. It's, it'll be hard to, to understand, you know, which event caused what, but uh, the, the, you know, it continues to be poor conditions down there for sure. Sure, It does. That wheat takes a beating, it seems, almost every year. We've used up a couple of its lives so far in this growing season. We'll see what's ahead. John, I want to look out a little farther into the week. You mentioned that low-pressure system develops over Texas and Oklahoma, then makes its way eastward. Are you expecting any thunderstorm risk with that system as it moves east or additional uh, rainfall totals? Absolutely. And we could get some se severe weather here across the southern states. Um, the Storm Prediction Center doesn't have a whole lot of risk with it right now, but I could see them increasing those risks here for uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of this week. Basically from eastern Texas, um, maybe as, as far north as uh, the Red River, uh, the Tennessee Valley, um, south to the Gulf of Mexico, really getting in on that uh, severe weather potential uh, for later this week. We'll have to watch that. Um, and of course, anytime we get thunderstorms, we have chances for heavy rainfall in there. Um, but like I mentioned, it's, it's falling over areas that, you know, I've had some pretty good soil moisture over the active pattern we've been in over the last several months. Um, so everything's kind of turning out well. I mean, if you're, if you're, as long as you're not uh, out in the plains, everything is kind of in, it's setting up in a good spot here for, for the springtime. John, you mentioned as long as you're not in the plains, things are looking good. I want to go far, far to the West Coast, California, the desert southwest, the mountain west. Of course, we saw those atmospheric rivers bringing a lot of moisture. They've kind of shut off. Is there the chance we're going to see more rain or snowfall here for our friends out west? We will. Um, so kind of unlike last year where they had a really good December that kind of produced a whole bunch of precipitation for them. And there was uh, some hope that they would get out of their drought everything just shut off from January through the rest of the year. And so um, things didn't go so well for them. Um, you know, we've kind of been under the same sort of pattern recently where they had a lot of precipitation move through. We talked about that on several occasions here, um, but things have kind of shut off, but you know, we're getting, we're starting to get a few more of these systems kind of moving into the West here. Um, later this week, uh, we should have one go through the West coast. You know, it doesn't have a whole lot of precipitation, but it's enough to keep things moving. Uh, keep building snowpack out there. Um, not only in California, where kind of the, the um, you know, everybody's been talking about recently, but also farther north into the, the Pacific Northwestern states as well. Uh, we got a couple more of those coming up uh, next week as well. So things, things are, are moving along. It's, you know, it's not heavy precipitation everywhere all the time, but it's you know, enough to, to keep, uh, to keep in line with what normal should be for this time of year. All right. We'll continue to watch those forecasts for relief from that very, very hard Mountain West drought. John, let's turn our focus down to South America. I understand we're getting some rains across central Brazil. Is it falling in the same places they're working to get those soybeans out? 
Unfortunately for them, it is. So they had a little bit of a break in central Brazil there last week. I thought they might be able to get uh, a little bit more work done. But, you know, the, the reports that I saw that came out um, of central Brazil on Friday show that they made some progress, but they're still uh, behind schedule in terms of uh, soybean harvest and safrina corn planting. Uh, and that window shut down over the weekend. So they've got heavy rains um, every day this week. And, and it looks like likely through next week as well. So they're going to have some issues there with pulling their beans out and getting their corn in. Um, you know, it's not a huge concern now. However, with the forecast going forward, if, if they continue to see these delays um, going, you know, into that third week of February, not next week, but the week after, um, then they're going to be in trouble of exposing a lot more of that corn to their dry season. Um, and with La Nina, that even though we're getting out of those conditions, um, that tends to shorten up their wet season a bit. And we've seen that definitely over the last couple of, of uh, uh, Aprils or, or wet seasons there that they've kind of uh, ended a couple weeks early than they normally do. So um, everything's kind of pointing towards uh, concerns here coming up for that corn crop. Uh, obviously, it's not really affecting the soybeans other than maybe making them a little mushy and, and, and a little, you know, little more difficult to get out of the field but um the, the corn crop is where i'm uh, most concerned there in brazil yeah that is going to be some uh, something to keep an eye on particularly not only are those beans coming out but can they get out and get through to harvest of course is always a crucial component of that as well john you mentioned we're seeing this rainfall just ahead of the dry season ahead of that safrina corn planting how well can brazilian soil maintain this moisture to carry that corn crop along uh yeah you know Typically, it, it doesn't hang on to a lot of it. Um, it's not very good quality soils, uh, which is why when they, they have um, a good corn crop, they're, they're talking about, you know, 80 to 100 bushels an acre corn. So it's not great in terms of yields. Um, a lot, some of that has to do with just the, the, the quality of the soil there. And they're, they're kind of converting stuff from uh, pastures over to, to regular farmland. But uh, a lot of it's just soil texture too, because they get rain so often that, um, you know, it just washes away the good, uh, uh, the texture on, on the soils. So uh, it doesn't hold a lot of moisture. So once those rains shut off, um, I mean, there is sub, the subsoil moisture, moisture will be full, but um, it's, it's, it's not going to last too long there for them. So uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a concern, concern when, when the, the final dries up. All right. Things to watch in South America continuing to move our markets. We've been talking with John Baranek of DTN Weather. John, thanks for joining us as always. And thanks, and thanks for, for talking talk with, with me. me. I appreciate it. Well, folks, stick around. We're going to dig into dairy and one of the conflicts that's brewing with our northern neighbor, Canada. Stay with us for more on AOA when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the monthly grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Joining us now is Troy Schneider. He's the chair of the Market Development Action Team for the National Corn Growers Association. Had the chance back in December to travel over to Europe. Over in the European Union, when we were there for the CPA, one of the topics that came up was the, the methane tax emission on cattle. And then the reduced use of um, pesticides. The farmers over in the European Union do not feel like they are appreciated, that they're wanted. What we all came away with is we need to learn from their mistakes. How do we go forward? How do we make sure that those policies don't come over here? We do have those policies coming to the head every once in a while here in the United States, but we have that strong voice within CBA, within CGA in Washington, D.C. This monthly grind recap is sponsored by the National Corn Growers Association. Be sure to tune in the first Wednesday of every month for the monthly grind here on AOA. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Let's take a look at what is happening in this Monday trade to start off the week. Fairly quiet action being seen in the grains. We did get a corn sale announced to Japan, 111,800 metric tons. Also another 200,000 metric tons sold to Mexico with 100 metric tons of that for the current marketing year. The Japan sale was for the current marketing year as well. 
Corn right around unchanged here in the early go of things. Beans and bean meal correcting a bit after bean meal touched that $500 a ton mark once again. KC Weed attempting to close higher for the eighth time in the past 10 trading days. Now we watch the weather forecast in Argentina. That's going to be a big talking point as we're going to see some triple-digit temperatures here for the next week or so. That's going to impact that already stressed crop there. While meantime, we're watching central northern Brazil. We're watching the rain there that has slowed soybean harvest and in turn has slowed down the planting of safrina corn. If that continues, it could be an issue for the next, uh, it could be an issue here in the markets here if that continues another 10 days or so. We're keeping our eyes on that. Over in the livestock trade, fairly mixed action. Cattle finding a little bit of support here as this cattle market really just kind of gingerly entering the week, watching to see what Packers will do. As uh, It's going to be very interesting. Cattle didn't trade in the south last week. So what does that set us up for here as we get into this week? That is going to be a very interesting uh, talking point here in the cattle market. Hogs under a bit of pressure. That front month February continuing to contract to the cash index here as we work into the month more and more. Crude oil up just a little bit here, right around that 73.50 mark with the Dow Jones down about 100 points in early trade. Again, we see corn firm around unchanged, wheat up a little bit, soybeans down 5 to 8. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. We appreciate being a part of your day. You know, the dairy producers across this great country have been buffeted by winds beyond their control for the past three years. We had COVID throw things into disarray, of course, and then we saw all of the disruptions over food service, and now we've been grappling with export issues. Our friends to the north have been creating some trouble for U.S. dairy producers, but now we're working with the organizations we have to try to find relief. Joining us for an update on this situation is Shauna Morris. She's the Senior Vice President for Trade Policy at both the National Milk Producers Federation and at the U.S. Dairy Export Council. And Shauna, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Thanks Mike. Thanks for having me, Mike. I'd like to get started with some of the back and forth that uh, U.S. dairy has had with Canadian, the Canadian dairy industry. Things have not gone really great up there. What's Canada been doing to disadvantage American dairy producers? Well, what haven't they been doing? <laughs> Not that that's a big shock, I'd say, though. Uh, really, uh, our really with the Canadians on dairy trade date back years and years and years. Uh, far before the latest FTA, uh, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. But ever since that agreement's put in, been put into place a few years ago, our struggle has really been getting the Canadians to live by that agreement. Most importantly, we've been trying to make sure that the new export access that we got the right to ship to Canada under USMCA, we actually get to take full advantage of. Uh, it's not a huge not a amount of access, but what we have is really important to our dairy farmers and dairy manufacturers. And Shauna, could you, that, that ex expansion of dairy exports into Canada, though it was small, as you mentioned, it was hard fought by the industry. Can you tell us what the dairy industry was expecting to gain here with USMCA? 
Yeah, our expectation of what we're likely to gain uh, if Canada finally complies with the agreement is an expansion of our exports into the Canadian market, really across a broad swath of dairy products. We make an awful lot of things here in this country in our dairy industry, high-quality products that are also in demand in Canada, whether that's fluid milk to butter to cheese to ingredients like milk powder, all of those had new tariff rate quotas, so permission to be able to ship into Canada at, uh, at no tariffs effectively up to certain volume levels. Uh, that's an important expansion, uh, not the same type of open trade we have with Mexico, thanks to NAFTA, but still more than we would have had prior to USMCA. And for our listeners who aren't in the dairy industry, Shauna, could you elaborate a little bit on why we have these challenges with Canada under USMCA and not with Mexico? What is it about the Canadian dairy industry that makes it a a weird thing to try and confront this? (laughs) That's a good question. Uh, Maybe I'll start on the Mexican side first. Uh, We have fully open trade in dairy products, so zero tariffs for our products headed into Mexico, zero tariffs on Mexican products dairy products headed here into the U.S., and we have ever since the North American Free Trade Agreement was fully implemented many years ago. We actually work really closely with our partners in Mexico in the dairy sector down there and have been able to together expand total demand for dairy in that market over the last several years. So it's a real partnership and tends to work pretty smoothly there. On the Canadian side, in contrast, uh, we've had tariffs for the large part, remain in place. Dairy wasn't part of the original NAFTA. It is part of the new U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement that the last administration negotiated. Uh, And we have access for a certain volume of products to ship tariff-free each year. The Canadian industry, frankly, doesn't like even that, though. And so instead, what we grapple with on the Canadian side is sort of constant scheming and creative brainstorming about how to wriggle out of the commitments that they've made. Constant scheming. Uh, Shauna, that seems like a really apt description of how Canada has operated since USMCA has signed. I understand now the U.S. Trade Representative has said we are going to begin a formal dispute process under USMCA about Canadian dairy. Fill us in. What does that look like? What does this process mean in terms of, uh, of for dairy producers? So that process that the, that the U.S. Trade Representative's Office initiates and on ag issues that's done in really close cooperation with the Department of Agriculture, as has been the case here, is basically the enforcement tool. So just like in the normal court where if somebody's not doing what they promised to do, uh, you can take them to court uh, to have uh, your rights enforced. That's what this dispute settlement is supposed to do. So it pulls together a panel of three judges, one picked by each of the USMCA countries, uh, to hear the case. So over the next several months now, uh, the US and Canada will be submitting briefs and arguments and writing to the panel of judges, and then ultimately have oral arguments in front of them to argue the case from their side. Uh, USCR and USDA did a great job during the first dispute settlement case, uh, arguing why Canada wasn't complying, and we know that's what they're gonna do this time as well. You know, you mentioned the dispute settlement case and presenting the arguments in front of judges. And then of course, the next question, Shauna, is who are these judges? Are they representing American, Canadian, and Mexican interests under the USMCA? They're really charged with helping ensure that the agreement is followed uh, and that countries abide by their commitment. There's a roster of lawyers that the countries have created that can be picked from when dispute settlement cases, so these court cases effectively, need to happen. Uh, There are judges from each of the countries, so there's Canadian uh, lawyers on that, U.S. lawyers, and Mexican ones as well. The goal there being to help ensure that across all three parties, there's people looking out for the integrity of the agreement. Because frankly, you know, there's more folks that care about this case working properly than just U.S. dairy farmers and manufacturers. It's really the first case under USMCA. And whether it works or not is a really strong bellwether about the enforcement ability for other cases to come.
It certainly is. We're hearing conversations under USMCA heat up on the corn side. Of course, as our listeners remember, Mexico's planned ban on the uh, import of GMO corn here this next year. They see that develop under USMCA. But Shauna, on the dairy side specifically, this isn't the first time USMCA has considered a challenge to the dairy industry, is it? It's not. It's, it's not. our second go-round. <laughs> and so my question then would be, what happened after the first one? Why didn't Canada get the memo? <laughs> That's a good question. I'd say the first one, in our view, um, again, was well argued by the U.S. government, but the panel, uh, considering the case, took a really narrow view of the work that needed done. Uh, they ruled on only one of the violations by Canada, so only one out of the many things Canada was doing wrong that wasn't complying with the agreement on dairy trade. And so the Canadians interpreted that to say, well, if we just fix one tiny thing, uh, we'll wash our hands and we're good here. And that's just not the case. Uh, so for uh, last so year, for instance, we saw very minimal changes to how Canada was handling <clears throat> its dairy market access uh, provisions. And so we still have many of the same problems. This case is taking a broad view of challenging all of the areas where we're continuing to struggle with Canadian dairy access. And our expectation is that the panel considers each of those. The agreement has a agreement. lot of provisions on how to handle market access. And we know that the negotiators put them in for a reason uh, and that we really need a ruling across the board so that we see the changes we need to from Canada. And of course, with the ruling, if it they do side with American producers, this opens the potential for some sort of punishment, right? For Canada, some sort of retaliation. Shauna, what could that look like under USMCA and would it be broad enough to get the Canadians' attention? Uh, you're right. Uh, the, the stick here, so to speak, is that if a country doesn't comply with the panel report findings in a case like this, then the alternative is levying retaliation. What that means here would be tariffs applied on Canadian products coming into the U.S. How that happens typically is that USTR develops a list of different uh, products that it's proposing attach, attaching additional tariffs to and what those higher tariffs would be, and then publishes that for public comment. Uh, we think, you know, frankly, we've been on the other side of the fence sometimes uh, where other countries have issued retaliatory threats or actually put them into effect on our dairy exports if the U.S. wasn't quickly compliant in other cases. Uh, and we've seen that they can be pretty effective. So, yeah, that's not where we hope this will end. We certainly hope that Canada decides at the end of this process to change its ways and make the reforms that are needed. But if not, retaliation is there and it's a tool that the U.S. will need to take uh, advantage of if it has to. Shauna, since this complaint has now been formally drafted by the USTR, is there the potential that Canada could voluntarily open up their uh, their markets for more U.S. dairy? And if so, would that address the concerns? <laughs> uh, it's not possible. No, not in practice. Uh, they certainly could choose to do that, but the politics in Canada mean that they simply would not do that. Uh, in reality, they'll have to be forced through this process to make the changes that need made here, which is why we think it's so important that the administration went ahead with this second case. All right. So they're pushing ahead. USTR is engaging on this issue. Shauna, timeline-wise, you mentioned this could drag out over several months. First hearing, do we know when that might be happening? Uh, probably sometime uh, late spring, early summer, uh, based on the typical USMCA timeline for these cases, I'd expect, you know, probably around the, the latter portion of the third quarter is when we're likely when to we're see a ruling on it. Ruling on that's it. actually the like thing seed for dealing with the trade disputes, and that's the direct outgrowth of the new USMCA. All right, we'll see how it all plays out, folks. We've been speaking with Shauna Norris, Senior Vice President of Trade for the National Milk Producers Federation and the U.S. Dairy Export Council. Shauna, thanks for joining us today. And folks, stick around. We'll have more AOA coming up here when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people 
lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference, bite by bite. Are you heading to the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville? Stop by the Trelleborg booth and see me, Mike Pearson, for some exciting live radio and learn about what's happening in the tire world. I will be broadcasting AOA live from Trelleborg booth 5039 from 10 to 11 a.m. on Thursday and Friday at the National Farm Machinery Show. That's the Trelleborg booth, 5039 from 10 to 11 a.m. We'll see you in Louisville. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. In farming, you know being early means you're right on time. That's why the Roundup Ready Extend crop system created the Spray Early Weed Control Guarantee. When you spray before or at planting, you can protect your investment and give your farm an advantage all season long. Find the tools and resources you need to spray early and guarantee your weed control at roundupreadyextend.com slash spray early. Guarantee is subject to program terms and conditions. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. I think farming picked me. <laughs> I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. 
Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Of course, this time of year, as my friend Max Armstrong calls it, it is education season here for farm producers. Last week, we had the National Cattlemen's Beef Association gathering in New Orleans, Louisiana. This week, there's a whole lot going on, including the agmarket.net Farming for Profit Not Price conference happening down in Nashville, Tennessee. Joining us from that conference is Mr. Jesse Allen, Farm and Ranch Director for the American Ag Network, and he's joined by Mr. Matt Bennett of agmarket.net. Jesse, how are things looking down in Nashville today? Well, thank you, Mike. Things are looking great down here in Nashville, Tennessee. And as you said, Matt Bennett with agmarket.net joining me as well here on the show today. Matt, great to uh, catch up with you. And I know you guys are having a lot of fun, a great conference here at the Grand Hyatt in Nashville today. Yeah, absolutely. This is our first time in Nashville, actually. Uh, last year, we had a couple of different conferences on uh, either side of uh, uh, the Corn Belt, if you will, and kind of one of those deals where we decide, let's just bring everybody together. It's kind of hard putting together a couple of them. Uh, people wanted to go somewhere a little warmer. Uh, I know Nashville isn't uh, Florida by any means, but it's certainly warmer than Minnesota and North Dakota and some of the places some of these guys <laughs> and gals are coming from. So uh, definitely uh, excited about the uh, turnout that we had here in Nashville. And I believe that they're going to walk away today feeling pretty good. Well, feeling pretty good walking away today just with the wealth of knowledge you guys have here at the conference talking about these markets, of course, always a hot topic. I know the lineup, including yourself, uh, Jim McCormick on stage right now brian split bill biederman um some other great folks as well talk about some of the uh different folks you have speaking here during yeah, the conference yeah so uh you know the people you mentioned and then of course drew learner he's one of the best in the business whenever it comes to weather and then you got dave hightower and uh, as far as agricultural marketing speakers go i don't know that you come with a whole lot more uh power than uh than dave dave just comes in uh one thing about it when you walk away from his presentation you're not wondering how he feels about things and uh i really enjoy his presentation uh style and tactic i've tried to kind of mirror some of mine after it actually uh, over the course of time but he, he's just fantastic and then we're going to kind of end out the day with uh, joe vakovic which i don't think he's a stranger to anybody in agriculture anymore with the kind of following he's got and then a lady by the name aaron nazetta who uh, she works with broadview which is a uh, you know, an investment wing uh, that Mashoffs in, in essence started. Just incredibly intelligent young lady. She uh, worked with Robbo. I've had some experience with her on like U.S. Farm Report and some of those types of uh, venues. But, uh, you know, uh, she's just incredible. We're going to just basically roll the ball out and have them tell us what they think. Uh, you know, are the places that, that we could see some rally potential this year and maybe some of the stuff that's maybe a little stale too. Well, Matt, as you're talking with attendees here during the conference, obviously they're getting a lot of great information. What are you guys hearing from attendees? Some of the, maybe the biggest question you're hearing from them when it comes to looking at their marketing right now, just on a broad scale. Are we going to get the kind of rallies that we've seen the last couple of years? Because quite frankly, people are a little nervous now that they've got these corn uh, looking like it just doesn't want to go to six again. Mm -hmm. uh, November beans, of course, not looking like it wants to go to 14. You know, the thing is, Jesse, those are nice round figures. You and I talk about this stuff all the time. Uh, what you got to understand is what's the matter with 595, you know, I mean, uh, historically, that's an incredible price. And if you start looking at that versus your input cost, it's actually very profitable. Now, is it 21 and 22 profitable? No, it's not even close. And I'm well aware of that. And I think that's what kind of screws us up sometimes. So while I think they're going to walk away from the conference feeling good after I get done presenting, I know some people are going to turn to their neighbor and say, good Lord, that guy's bearish. And it's not that I'm bearish. I'm just cautious. I'm just mm -hmm. cautious because I don't want to see this thing turn on us without without some sort of insurance that we're still going to be able to have a good year because that exists today. It may not exist three, four months from now. Very true. And I know you and I have talked about that quite a bit, just thinking about some folks who might have a couple hundred thousand bushels still sitting in the bin with no protection whatsoever yeah. underneath them. I mean, that's that's extremely risky. Matt. What they don't like to hear whenever they tell me how much corn they've got in the bins, I was like, well, you've got a futures position of 200,000 bushels. No, I don't. Yeah, you do. You know, <laughs> if the market goes down 20 cents, now I understand basis. 
could improve with a downward trending market. But in February, eh, you're probably not going to see a lot of that. So if it goes down 20 cents, uh, you know, and you got 200,000 in the bin, you just lost 40 grand off of what you're claiming right now to be your uh, balance sheet, if you will. So you have to understand how that works. I just want to protect it, uh, whether we're talking old crop or new. I think more so new than old mm -hmm. uh, because we know what bushels were for last year. And quite, I don't want to make, uh, yeah, I don't want to make uh, this sound the wrong way, but essentially we could market at a much lower price than today, most people, and still make money. That doesn't mean we need to do that, though. Uh, new crop, we don't know what kind of bushels we're going to raise, so we need to try to lock in as much of this good fortune as what we can. Very true. Well, I know uh, as well, you can hear Matt here on AOA with Mike uh, every now and then and the other folks on the agmarket.net team. And if folks want to reach out to you guys, agmarket.net or 844-4-AG-MARKET, right, Matt? Absolutely, or agmarket.app. Any of those ways you can get to us. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, we'll, we'll have, have more coverage, coverage as well here from the conference coming up uh, on Market Talk, the sister program of AOA here the next couple of days. And as well, we will have coverage on the American Ag Network, too. Mike, with that, I'll send it back to you in, in the, the studio, studio reporting live in Nashville. I'm Jesse, I'm Jesse Allen. Allen. Hey, thank you so much, Jesse. Thank you, Matt Bennett, for that update. Yep. It will be interesting to talk through all of these issues that are shaking farmers here in 2023. Folks, before we go for the day, I did want to have an update. One long-term issue we've been talking about is WOTUS, the Waters of the U.S. Act. This last week in Congress, we saw Republican senators and representatives in the House introduce a motion of disapproval, excuse me, a resolution of disapproval to the Biden administration's most recently rolled out WOTUS rule. Now, it's worth noting that in order to succeed, in order to actually be passed by law, the resolution must be passed in both the House and the Senate in an identical form, and then it has to be signed by the president. Now, it's unlikely that President Joe Biden is going to sign a law disapproving of his own administration's Waters of the U.S. Act, and that veto can only be overridden by two-thirds of a vote, of course, in the House or the Senate. So it seems like a very long shot that this disapproval resolution is going to get across, but there is still efforts in DC to narrow up this waters of the US. We'll continue covering this as it pushes ahead. Thanks for listening, folks. Tune in tomorrow to AOA. We will have a discussion with our friends at Uncommon Farms, and we're gonna talk with John Sandbachen about the outlook for sunflowers here in this new year. Tune in next time to AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the monthly grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Joining us now is Troy Schneider. He's the chair of the Market Development Action Team for the National Corn Growers Association. Had the chance back in December to travel over to Europe. Over in the European Union, when we were there for the CPA, one of the topics came up was the, the methane tax emission on cattle. And then the reduced use of um, pesticides. The farmers over in the European Union do not feel like they are appreciated, that they're wanted. What we all came away with is we need to learn from their mistakes. How do we go forward? How do we make sure that those policies don't come over here? We do have those policies coming to the head every once in a while here in the United States, but we have that strong voice within CBA, within CGA in Washington, D.C. This monthly grind recap is sponsored by the National Corn Growers Association. Be sure to tune in the first Wednesday of every month for the monthly grind here on AOA.